Welcome to a tech moment on Cannabis Tech. I'm your host, Christina Etter. In this podcast, we take just a few minutes to talk about some of the exciting science and technology that is changing and shaping the cannabis and hemp industries. And one of the topics that I talk about on a fairly regular basis are the buzzwords and the marketing schemes that are being used right now in commercial hemp products and and some in the cannabis industry as well. And my guest today agrees that, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions out there and, and flat out deception, really, in the way that products are not only marketed, but how they're being produced. Author and hemp entrepreneur and cannabidiol activist, Jim Higdon is absolutely fed up with the continuous lack of oversight in the U.S. CBD products. And like I've always said, I mean, who can really blame him? There is so much happening right now in the CBD industry, and they are, they are generating billions of dollars of revenue, and there's no standardization in the industry whatsoever. So, Jim, I am super excited to have you here today. Welcome to the show, Jim, Jim Higdon. Uh, thanks for having me, Christina. Really appreciate it. That was a great intro. Thank you. So, you know, like I said, I, I can't wait to hear your perspectives on this and really dive into this, this topic of, of buzzwords and marketing schemes and all this stuff that's really kind of happening right now. But before we really get into the topic of the hour, let's talk about you a little bit. I'd love to hear more about your background and, and where you're at today and, and what's kind of prompting you to, to speak up about some of these things. Sure, so thanks so much for having me. Um, you know, with the hemp and the CBD and the cannabis industries, it's really fascinating space because it's a new industry, it's a new space, and everyone has come into it from somewhere else, right? Everyone has a backstory, an origin story about how they got into um, into cannabis uh, from another place. And my story is, is, you know, perhaps unique, but we all have our own ways into um, the industry. Uh, I grew up in central Kentucky. Uh, when I was growing up, um, my hometown was notorious for uh, being the headquarters of the largest domestic marijuana syndicate in American history. Uh, federal prosecutors refer to this group as the Cornbread Mafia. Uh, and it really kind of shaped my young person understanding of um, the inequalities and uh, of the drug war um, because the federal government and the media were portraying people in my community as bad people, but that was not my experience as a young person interacting with these people. They seemed like regular good people uh, that were being uh, villainized um, by, the, by the drug war. Um, in the end, something like 70 men from my community arrested on 30 farms in 10 states with 200 tons of marijuana. Um, and it really left a mark on me as a, as a young person. I went off to school to be a writer uh, and had this story kind of burning inside of me, knew that it needed to be told. Um, Kentucky has a really unique place in the cannabis industry, um, in part due to uh, this cornbread mafia activity in the, in the 70s and 80s. Um, but really before that, during the Hemp for Victory movement in World War II, and even before that, going all the way back to uh, um, the first hemp crop planted in Kentucky almost uh, 250 years ago. So Kentucky's got this very long storied tradition with cannabis. It might be the best place in the continental United States to grow cannabis. And um, that story, that, that legacy, that culture, that tradition had been largely um, forgotten uh, until uh, I set about to write this story about the Cornbread Mafia and really get to the bottom of uh, why it was that Kentucky was the center of it all. 
And so I um, had gone to the Columbia Journalism School and put together a book proposal uh, to write a nonfiction account of the Cornbread Mafia, came home and did just that. Um, the, the book as a nonfiction book was very successful in hardcover and paperback, and that led me into a journalism career where I covered cannabis policy and politics at a fairly high level for national publications like Politico. And in 2018, while I was covering uh, the passage of the 2018 Farm Bill for Politico, I was in Kentucky uh, reporting in the hemp industry and realized this opportunity um, to start a company based on my understanding of the Kentucky hemp tradition because the corporations that were running CBD companies at the time seemed to be, or, or certainly were, distance, distancing themselves from cannabis, distancing themselves from the history of the plant in Kentucky, were acting like it was something new and something that was um, separate from THC, separate from cannabis, trying to market it as uh, something safer or different or, 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 or newer than this thing that had been around and with us um, forever. And so um, based on that experience and that understanding that there was this opportunity, uh, I joined forces with my first cousin, uh, Eric Zipperly, who um, has an MBA and an e-commerce background. So we joined forces at the end of 2018 and decided, hey, we're going to start a company. And by January of 2019, we did just that. We launched Cornbread Hemp. Um, our first products were um, uh, going to customers by April. Uh, by the end of 2019, we became the first Kentucky company to offer USDA certified organic CBD products. Now we offer um, 10 different SKUs that are USDA certified organic, uh, ranging from our CBD oils to our organic gummies, um, organic topicals uh, as well. So uh, we're really leading the charge in sort of uh, uh, top-level product formulation at, a, at, at, at the standard of the USDA organic program. And along the way, we also realized, really sort of at the start, that full spectrum is obviously superior to uh, THC-free products. And that was one of the things that drove us to, to launch this business because um, at the time, with a few notable exceptions, the trend was really towards uh, THC-free CBD products that were denying, um, de you know, denying the cannabis plant its rightful place in the hemp industry conversation, and and making less effective products as far as the science, so far as it is today, as far as we can tell, those CBD products with THC, uh, according to the research that I've seen, seem to be more effective. Now that's not a medical claim for my product line; it's just my understanding of the research, um, and. The other thing is that the only way to get a full-spectrum product uh, before we launched Cornbread Hemp was whole plant. And it really shocked us that, that people, that companies, were making their extract using the stems and the leaves in addition to the flowers. We understood that to make a better product, we had to use the flower by itself. And so not only are we a certified organic company that has certified organic products, we also do a flower-only extraction that really elevates our product formulation and elevates the brand. And right now we're on a push to really bring that message out to the world and to let folks know that um, when looking for full-spectrum products, it's also important to look for flower-only uh, as, a, as a superior alternative to whole plant.
Right. And, you know, I love to see companies like yours taking that stance and really kind of um, putting that correlation between what people consider the legal cannabis industry and the legal hemp industry. Like you said, you know, the THC is is a part of hemp and, and cannabis and hemp are the same plan. It's just government regulations that have determined what is actually hemp. And and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, if we look at it from a, um, a medicinal standpoint <clears throat> or, 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 or a therapeutic standpoint, even if you're looking at other herbal medicines, there's, there's terminology, things that are being used, like synergy is used in herbal medicines to talk about what we call the entourage effect. And that's, you know, the, how different compounds actually work together. And, and so with the cannabis and hemp industries, like you said, there's so much terminology. We hear full spectrum, we hear broad spectrum, we hear THC free. You, you know, with the new Delta 8 and Delta 10 products, we hear things like marijuana light and, and, and there's all these buzzwords and, and things that are happening in the industry. And in my opinion, I think it's really just kind of confusing people. And so, you know, you, you talk about that whole plant versus whole flower, which is where the, the true um, value comes from in, in the hemp and cannabis plant. And, and the stems and, and leaves really don't add a lot of anything to that. So. I, I love to see you making that differentiation, I guess, is the point that I'm trying to get to. And it's it's nice to see some, um, um, you know, some distinction, I think, coming into play with the, the various products and things that are out there. Now, using these keywords, though, and these buzzwords, and we see all of these things on, the, on different products, and we know that labeling and testing and, and stuff like that just really isn't up to par. But Tell me from your perspective, from the things that you've seen happening in the industry, what's your view of, of what's going on in terms of marketing and consumer education in, in hemp and CBD and, and other products that are being derived from hemp? Well, it's difficult to do the, the first of all, consumers are eager for information and education in this space. And we encounter consumers in, uh, at every stage of the education pipeline from first timers asking some very basic questions to real um, studious uh, consumers who are asking very specific questions about our COAs and what we're testing for and what our product formulations are and what our extraction methods are what you know what our ingredients are like um, so you know we encounter uh, consumers at every level of um, educational knowledge and it's really uh, important to us to reach those customers and, and and talk to them in ways that help them understand what CBD might be able to do for them and it's very frustrating um, until FDA comes in with regulations that we have to be so studiously mindful to not tell them anything that could come across as a medical claim um, without without being uh, completely uh, unhelpful. So uh, directing them to help them do their own research as part of that and talking to them about our products function, or, you know, as products formulation without really talking too much about how CBD affects them or could benefit them has been a real sort of 
line we've had to learn to ride as we communicate with consumers. As a, as a former journalist, it's very frustrating um, to not be able to talk to our customers the way we would like to. Um, and so we're hopeful that the FDA will, um, uh, will come through with regulations to allow uh, full-spectrum hemp extract to be um, regulated as uh, a dietary supplement, which is what we hope it to be um, in the future. And many uh, sort of other governing bodies already sort of see it as such, uh, but until the FDA says so, um, it's it's difficult to communicate con- to consumers, which makes all these terminology and in, in, you know like new new terms that we're talking about even more confusing because it makes it more difficult for consumers to get their heads around what all these terms mean. Um, and we're starting to get some some third party regulation on on terminology, full spectrum, broad spectrum. Um, THC-free terms, and and consumers are starting to get their heads around that. You know, because we're a full-spectrum brand that only offers full-spectrum products, uh, consumers are already uh, learning these things, and when they reach out to us to ask questions, that's already sort of a determination they've already made. Like, they want a full-spectrum product, they've come to us. If if they're looking for something that's not full-spectrum, if they're afraid of THC, or if they if they're culturally opposed to it, or if they've got drug tests hanging over their head at work, um, they've already kind of determined that perhaps our product is not for them. So let's talk about those processes a little bit now. I, I love your video, the the video that compares the uh, the orange juice industry to hemp, and I, I would love to have you explain that a little bit and and the differences really in in what that terminology means whole plant versus whole flower. And I think that's something that consumers really need to be aware of. Sure. So we were racking our brains a few months ago, trying to figure out like, okay, given the limits that we have on how we can talk to consumers, how do we distinguish our flower only extraction method, um, against a whole plant method? Um, and you know, and not just, the, our problems from on the FDA side, but also the problems on um, the social media side, being able to, to talk about hemp and cannabis and show hemp and cannabis in a way that's instructive and educational. Um, and as we were f- kicking around these problems, it occurred to me, orange juice. Uh, orange juice is this great example, and, and we use it as a metaphor in this video, uh, everyone understands orange juice. Everyone understands orange juice comes from oranges that you squeeze. It's very simple and straightforward. Um, unlike hemp and cannabis and CBD products, orange juice has been around forever. Um, you don't make orange juice by cutting down the whole tree and putting the whole tree through a wood chipper. That would be counterproductive. It doesn't even make sense. It's absurd. Um, but yet that's exactly how the CBD industry got itself on legs. That's how, that's the method that the CBD industry uses to make CBD products. They take the whole plant and they put it in, in a chipper, pelletize it, and, and extract, the, extract uh, cannabinoids from the pellets. But it also includes a bunch of uh, material from the stalks and leaves and stems that folks aren't looking for. They're not buying stalks. They're trying to buy the, the cannabinoids that are in the resin and the flowers. That's, that's, the, that's the valuable part. And um, so finding this metaphor of orange juice as a way to uh, talk about it really frees us 
to discuss something that helps people understand it in a way that they can understand it without without us running afoul of <clears throat> governing bodies, whether that's terms of service of uh, social media companies or um, governmental bodies like the FDA. Right. So let's shift gears a little bit then, as we were just sitting here talking about the, the benefits of, of or not necessarily the benefits, but we've been talking about this from a consumer's perspective per se. But what are the benefits of producing extracts this way for the producer themselves? I mean, I would think obviously just shoving a plant in a, in a chippers might be a little quicker and a little, little easier, you know, in terms of labor. But I'm assuming that you are getting a much higher quality product in the long run by just picking the flowers. Well, I mean, since you mentioned it, it's certainly true. Uh, the flower-only process is much more expensive than a whole plant process for a number of reasons. Labor is one, and and then the yield of the you know quantity of biomass is significantly less because we're only taking the best parts of the plant. Um, so in both those regards, we're we're taking a hit on the production side um, to make a higher quality product that's still price competitive on the shelf. So, you know, we're eating, we're eating uh, that cost difference on the production side ourselves, um, and that's important to us because, you know, this is a, this bringing, bringing a premium product to market uh, is difficult. It takes time, and part of that's educating the public. And so um, by making it, you know, the way we do, like one of the benefits is just the peace of mind of knowing that we're making a higher quality product. Um, and, you know, when consumers who aren't knee-deep in this process in the industry with questions, you know, sort of in the middle to basic range, you know, like, you know what's the benefit, what's the difference between um, your flower-only extract and this whole plant? Um, you know, my question to them is always, is there a flavoring on that whole plant oil? Uh, is there peppermint or cinnamon or something that's covering up the bitter flavor that comes with that extract? And the answer is always yes. Um, and it's easy to then be like, you know, like we don't do that here. We don't flavor our oils because it our oils taste like cannabis flowers, which is what they're supposed to taste like. And putting peppermint on top of it would, you know, like it just defeats the purpose. People aren't shopping for peppermint, they're shopping for cannabis flowers. And and that's what we offer in our products. Um, because of Kentucky state law, we cannot offer the flower itself as a, as, a, as a marketable product, but our CBD oils and our gummies and our topicals are as close as you can get uh, to the real thing um, in the marketplace today. Do you think you'll see that change? Do you think um, as, as we learn more about hemp or as laws continue to change, do you think other states will start opening up to more smokable hemp opportunities? I think it's just a, a matter of time uh, for that. And most states have. We've got these court cases going on, I think, in Indiana and Texas uh, on this issue. Um, uh, those will play out. Um, they've been in the court for a year now uh, about this stuff. So um, it takes time. The, the law enforcement lobby is a strong lobbying force, especially in uh, conservative state legislatures like here in Kentucky. And law enforcement does not like smokable hemp flour, especially in states like Kentucky where there's no medical marijuana yet legal, um, because it's essentially de facto decriminalization. If hemp flour is legal, then police officers cannot tell the difference between that and, and an illegal uh, marijuana bud. And they don't like that. So 
Um, until right. that issue is resolved legislatively, um, it will continue to um, be an issue that we have to deal with. Couldn't agree more. My my home state is Iowa, and I know in Iowa, you get the same fine for smokable hemp as you do for for marijuana, and it's it's uh, more than eighteen hundred dollars and up to a year in jail for possession of smokable hemp. So it's uh, I, I get it, and, and it's just such a sad state to think that. Uh, that, that we're still doing that <laughs> two steps forward Always. one st one step yeah, back yeah. you know like 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 we're making progress on this front and as we make progress there's always some pushback and and, and you receive that pushback and continue to move forward we're be patient with people being patient with lawmakers being patient with folks letting them understand the process and the, and the plant and and how it's not threatening to them uh, or their families or their communities and eventually over time we win over and over it's you know it's it, you know it's 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 difficult and frustrating because we want to go faster uh, but we're moving ahead every day in the right direction right now, one of the discussions that I, I've been having a lot, it seems like lately, is in terms of labels on CBD products, labels on Delta 8 products, and, and labs, and integrity in labs, in, in testing these products, and, and the things that they're testing for. Do you feel like if we do get a little better federal regulation, is, is that what's really going to help bring, you know, bring in this wild, wild west atmosphere that we have in the hemp industry right now? Well, it certainly better federal regulation certainly will not hurt. Um, we need it because what we're seeing across the board is states making these decisions on their own. Uh, you know, you mentioned Iowa, Iowa state regulations for CBD retail are quite restrictive and weird, um, as are states like Louisiana, uh, Texas has its own rules. And so we're creating this patchwork of rules for CBD retail um, uh, in all these different states. And everyone's anticipating formulating what they think the FDA might do in the future, but they're all different. And it makes a CBD company like ours, um, uh, in a, you know, puts us in a bind because we can't comply by all those standards at once. Some of them are contradictory. So um, having federal regulations on when you have a CBD product, it has to be tested for these things. It, like those tests have to be um, viewable by a consumer before purchase via QR code or some other means. Um, uh, contact information uh, in, in, a, in a uniform sense on the packaging to the website, that sort of thing. Uh, these are all going to be things that happen uh, over time, presumably, but right now they just haven't been. And so uh, some uniformity in package regulation would be uh, a welcome um, addition to um, the legality of cannabinoid hemp. We, we live in a world where cannabinoids are legal. And THC is no longer 100% illegal. It's just 99.7% illegal. And that 0.3 is legal. And it's just a matter of time before that number goes up. I couldn't agree more. And so let's talk about then the new legislation that was just introduced. Obviously, that was kind of a, a big headline across the industries last week. Um, and, and I believe that in, inside the wording of that legislation, there is a pathway for, for hemp and CBD producers to begin to talk about the benefits of these products. So what's your take on this legislation? Do you think that this actually stands a chance at, at 
passage and how will it actually impact the, the work that you do? Well, really exciting to see this legislation roll out in the Senate from uh, Senator Booker and Wyden and Schumer. Um, my former journalist self is very sort of engaged and um, uh, stimulated by it all. I would be all over uh, my Capitol Hill staff uh, uh, network asking questions on this um, if I weren't uh, um if I if I weren't wearing a new hat now, if I wasn't you know like in the game, uh, if I was just on the sidelines like I had been before, so uh, you know very interested in the Senate bill. Um, but like anything in D.C. Um, in the Senate, you need ten Republican votes, and so where do those ten Republican votes come from in order to move that bill forward? Um, and I don't know where they are. Um, I can think of maybe you know a couple, maybe a handful. Uh, you know, like someone generous could count to five, but I don't know how you count to 10 on the Republican side to not just legalize marijuana, legalize cannabis, but also do it in a socially justice, social justice, racial equity way as this bill has been crafted uh, uh, by design and by necessity uh, because the drug war has uh, clearly most negatively impacted uh, communities of color. Um, so it makes sense to legalize it. We would, we would, um, prioritize uh, benefiting, helping the communities most impacted negatively uh, by 50 years of drug war. Um, but that's that makes it more difficult to get those Republicans that we need. Um, so it's really and then and then on top of that, let's let's not let's not forget that even if we find those 10 senators, Republican senators to help this bill pass, there's no guarantee that President Biden will sign this bill. Uh, President Biden remains opposed to it vocally from his press secretary, as I understand it. Um, we got a Democratic president, but he's an old school prohibitionist. So um, the Senate bill is great, um, but I would encourage everyone to focus on the next farm bill. The next farm bill is where we can really make the most change um, because the farm bill has to pass. The farm bill has to pass. So when in a piece of must move legislation like the farm bill, all these details get worked out in the committees. So the House Agricultural Committee, the Senate Agricultural Committee are, are, are the people who will be making the decisions about the next farm bill and the entire prohibition of cannabis is hanging on one line in the farm bill regarding the limits of THC and hemp. Uh, that 0.3% number is going to go up. Does it go to 1%? Does it go to 5%? Like it's going to increase. The, the, the USDA says that uh, as much as 20% of the hemp crop will be destroyed because it's because it tests hot for over a 0.3 THC level. And my understanding is the reality of that number could be double that. Uh, and you can't have a sustainable uh, agricultural product if you're destroying 20 to 40% of it before it even gets to the marketplace. It's just not feasible. It's not fair to the farmers. Uh, and to create a farmer-friendly uh, hemp program in America, we must increase the THC cap. Do we increase it to 1%? Do we increase it to 5 And eventually we can eliminate it through the farm bill. Um, and I think that's probably realistically in a dysfunctional Congress in the world we live in the best way to get this done.
That is such a great point. And, and thank you for, for pointing that out because I, I think you're right. I think people have been waiting for this, this blanket legislation that's just going to come along and say, yeah, and it, prohibition's over. But in, in the environment that we're in, it makes much more sense to see it worked into that farm bill and to see THC limits change from that perspective versus, you know, trying to come in and, and, and recreate the wheel with, with cannabis as something different. So what a great point. And, you know, I guess the, the moral of the story there is that things are changing. You know, like you said earlier, it's, it's little steps at a time. It's baby steps here and there. We're getting there. It's going to take patience. It's going to take a little more time. It's going to take that regulation. But I, I am so thankful for companies like yours and, and for visionaries like you that see the fact that there's, there's such a huge future here and, and there's potential and there's opportunity, but things have to be done right. They have to be done correctly. And unfortunately, in, in the green rush that we've seen and in, in the legalization that we've had over the last couple of years, I think there's just so much opportunity and so much temptation um, that we see these, buds, these buzzwords and we see these different types of, of fast, quick processes to get to an end product as, as quickly as we can without as much regard to quality. So I, I love to see that you're using that whole flower and really focusing on quality um, in, in those extracts and, and recognizing the fact that quality can't come from a biomass that's full of junk. <laughs> you know, and I think that's the, the big thing there. And then educating and then Go educating ahead. consumers to this distinction, right? Like that's the tricky part. Like uh, consumers have like, you know, there's, like you said, like, you know, billions of dollars being spent on CBD and folks don't even realize they're buying an inferior product um, because it's not been explained to them how and why that product is inferior and what could be better. And, and, and that's the point of the flower only video that you've seen is our um, uh, first step into the world um, um, reintroducing ourselves. We had a whole plan to do this uh, last year and, uh, you know, everyone got battened down because um, of COVID and, you know, like, you know, don't need to share our COVID story. We all have one. Uh, but now that we're sort of coming out of that, um, it's time for us to reintroduce ourselves to the world. And we're doing that with this flower only video. So folks know uh, when they think about cornbread hemp, they understand that we make a flower only product and we're also certified organic and we're also full spectrum. And if you're looking for those three things, then they found them at cornbread hemp. Fantastic. Well, Jim, I cannot thank you enough for taking time out of your day today to come onto the show and, and talk about these differences in products and talk about, you know, some of these changes that we're seeing. And, and hopefully we do get to see some some good changes happen here in the future and we can open up that pathway to really talk about hemp and educate consumers about hemp and, and cannabinoids and, and cannabinoid therapies the way that they need to be um, educated. I, I think right now we're, you know, we're in such a bind because like you said, with regulations the way that they are, we can't educate consumers properly. We can't talk about the product properly without having the FDA raise an eyebrow. So we're, we're hoping for that new legislation, but in the meantime, it's, it's videos like yours and, and more consumer education that's really going to help get the word out. So we, we appreciate what you're doing. Thanks so much. You know, I, we, 
we are frustrated by the current regulatory landscape, but we are optimistic that um, that everything will will head in the right direction and that things will things will be better in the future. Uh, you know, we can't we can't uh, we're we're a genie that cannot be put back in the bottle. And as we work towards uh, you know one crafting uh, higher quality products and now educating consumers about our higher quality products, it's just a matter of time before um, we're 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 a staple of the American landscape. Fantastic. Thanks again, Jim, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. Christine, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Bye.